it's exciting to look out and see you guys. Thank you for being, just thanks for stepping out in faith um, with us, this team, this uh, core group. When, can, when do we get to quit calling ourselves a core group and say, this church, right? So uh, maybe today's that day. Um, we've been praying. Let me, uh, before I open up God's Word, just invite you to pray one more time with me. Would you bow with me? Lord, we ask that you would help us as we study your Word together this morning. Help us to be attentive as you speak through your holy, living, and inerrant Word. Please help me as I preach through this section of Scripture. Lord, together we ask that you would empower us as a church and move us to pray prayers for each other like the one that we're about to study with the aim of fostering a gospel culture from day one here at Redeemer Fellowship. And we pray this in the blessed and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Colossians 1. Um, as I think about it, and you were with me Wednesday night, so you know the, the uh, realignment of our sermon schedules, right? Um, but few things will establish a, a gospel culture within this fellowship, within this group, more than Bible-packed and Spirit-empowered prayers by each of us on behalf of each of us, right? But as I've been thinking about that big sentence, I mean, practically though, how do we do that? How are some steps uh, that we can make that our practice? And in the opening verses of this letter to Colossians, now at verse 9, Paul shows us by way of example. So let me direct your attention to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read all the way through verses 9 through 14. This is a prayer that he prayed on behalf of the Colossians. This is the word of the Lord. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord for us, His people. May He add to it as we walk through it now. Um, let's look at this together. So I want to walk through this prayer that Paul prayed, and, and I'm going to do so just highlighting and just kind of handing you three handles, right? The first is walk in a worthy manner. The second will be walk in His strength. And the third, walk in thankful assurance. So we'll just see that as it unfolds here. Walk in a worthy manner, walk in His strength, and walk in thankful assurance. Let's look at the first one, which has a couple things underneath it, right? So number one, walk in worthy manner, verses 9 through 10. And under that, I would just kind of, if you're a note taker, you might jot this, this little bullet, be filled. 
be filled. Look at verse 9. He's asking, so he's in his prayer here, right? Asking that you may be filled with what? With the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul prayed that the Colossians would be, here's that language again, filled with the knowledge of God's will. And by God's will, Paul's praying that they would be filled with an overwhelming insight into God's redemptive heart, right? So this isn't God's will as we might have uh, been brought up to think of His will in that perfect plan for our lives, right? This is, this is much bigger than that, that God is praying that they would be filled with this overwhelming insight of God's redemptive heart, His nature, His, his character, and, and even His love, right? That, that was demonstrated by offering His Son Jesus as a willing and living sacrificial lamb, right? So He's praying, and He, and he prayed knowing that as they were blessed, and that's a key word here, as they were blessed by the grace of salvation. So he's writing them. He's already addressed them as saints and faithful brothers, right? So in the same way they were blessed by the grace of salvation, that they would also be blessed by a sanctifying work, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And, and he even tells how he wants, how he's praying that that would flesh itself out, right? So in this spirit-driven work of sanctification in them, that they would be filled, and here's the language, with wisdom and understanding for what reason? To help them, right? To help them live skillfully. It's a, that's a, paraphrased little meaning of the word wisdom, but so that they could live skillfully and walk in a way that is pleasing before God. And this is their heart for them. This is how he's praying for them, right? Um, Far from wanting them to see, Paul to the Colossians, them be puffed up with knowledge. So he's, not, hey, he's not praying that they would become puffed up. In fact, he will write against that in other letters, right? Paul is praying that their belief Right? So what they have come to learn about Christ, God's nature, being filled with the fullness of the knowledge of God. He's praying that their belief in the gospel and their growth in the knowledge and wisdom um, from the Spirit would result in something. Right, And that something is spelled out through the rest of this prayer and the rest of Colossians. But for now, I, I would just say that he's praying that their belief would result in godly behavior for the glory of God, right? Belief and behavior. Um, which brings us to this next point, right? So we've, we've got this major heading here, of walk in a worthy manner, be filled. Why? So that it'll flesh out in their behavior, right? So walk worthy. We've seen be filled. And the second thing I want to highlight in this prayer for them is that they would walk worthy. Look at verse 10 with me. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. To walk in a manner worthy means to walk in such a way that your belief or your confession, the confession of your mouth is in balance with your behavior. Right? So so let me kind of paint this little word picture. We, we do not use the old school scales, scales anymore where if you have a, 
a balancing scale and one side over here has the unit of measure and you, you've got this standard of measure here and you are going to measure the weight of that with the product that you're either selling or weighing, you would, you would adjust this side or not this side, but this side in such a way until they are in balance, right? Think about that this way in that when, when Paul writes that we would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, it means a lot of things, but it means at least that their belief system or the confession of their mouth would be um, in balance with their behavior, their lives, right? So he, that's, that's kind of what's going on here. So as to walk, he's saying, I'm praying that you would be filled with all knowledge, being blessed with spiritual wisdom, spiritual understanding. Why? So that or so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, belief, behavior. It is pleasing to God when his children walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now, looking back at the text, to bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God requires the Spirit's work, right? That Spirit's work of sanctification in us. He's doing something in us, transforming us from the inside out so that our lives will reflect that change, right? For His glory. But we are not to be passive onlookers, right? Just because Paul is praying this, that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and blessed, graced with spiritual wisdom and spiritual under, uh, understanding. They're not to be spirit passive onlookers, nor are we, right? Paul was praying this, that the Spirit would work powerfully in their lives, in our lives, right? And He's gracious to do that work the Spirit is. However, throughout this letter, and I want to flip a couple places with me, um, the Colossians were called to take an active role in this process. Look at chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. So they were to be aggressive to see that they weren't taken captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Flip over to chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, so there's the gospel starter, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above. So they were to seek the things that are above and set their minds there. Look at verse 16 of the same chapter. They were to let the word of Christ dwell in them richly. See verse 16, which says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and, and they were to be sharing that with each other, right? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart to God. One more, we could point out a lot, but look at verse 2 of chapter 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer. So far from being passive onlookers, right, for this spirit to do in them as they just kind of let go and let God they are being challenged. And in this case, verse 2 of chapter 4, they're to continue steadfastly in prayer. Okay, so I, I just want you to see that Paul is praying for a spirit work in them, right? The spirit gives them that desire. The spirit places his spirit with, I mean, upon our conversion, right? However, he's also blessing them with spiritual wisdom and understanding. Um, and, and that is a work of spirit. However, 
it empowers us to walk in a certain way, right? And that certain way is to walk in a manner worthy. Um, we are active participants. It's not up to us, but we are active participants in that process. So let me state the obvious, okay? It is pleasing to God when it is our pleasure to live in a manner worthy. Say that again. It's pleasing to God when it is our pleasure to walk in a manner worthy. So not under compulsion, but as a response to the grace and the gospel that He has made available and planted in us, right? So it's pleasing to God when it's our pleasure to walk in a manner worthy. And this is for us, the church. It is good and right that we pray that God plants that desire in our fellow believers as well, right? So those things that we pray about each other and for each other, over each other, when we're together or when we're apart, Paul's given us a roadmap here. And not least of which is, Lord, I pray for my, my fellow brother in the church, so-and-so, that you would fill him with the knowledge of your will that you would grace him with spiritual wisdom, all spiritual wisdom and all understanding so that he can walk in a manner worthy and desire to do it. And then it would be his pleasure to do so. So we've had point number one, verses nine to 10, walk in a manner worthy, be filled and walk worthy. And now let's look at verse 11 for the second, which is walk in his strength. And I, and I, would make, I think we could make the argument that verse 11 seems to contain Paul's primary thing that he's praying for, right? It seems to be the heart of this prayer. Check it out in verse 11. But before we look at it, let me ask you. If, if, you, could only, if you could ask people to only pray one thing for you, someone calls you and says, hey, what's that one thing that I could be praying for you this week? What do you say? There's no right or wrong answer taking a cue from what Paul's praying for them is that one big primary thing. Um, maybe what Paul prays for them in verse 11 should be the one thing that we ask others to pray for in us. Look at verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy being strengthened with all power. That's the point. Walk in His strength. Paul prays that God would strengthen them according to His glorious might. God's power is unrivaled. And it's limitless. Rest in that just for the moment. Okay, let me walk you through a few places through Scripture. Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, it is You who have made the heavens and the earth by Your great power and by Your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for You. And then finally, Jesus' words Himself recorded in Matthew 19, 26. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. God's power is unrivaled and it's limitless. But this Spirit-given power that Paul's praying over the Colossian church, 
that we are seeking to pray for each other as we desire a gospel culture. This Spirit-given power empowers them to do this. Joyfully endure and be joyfully patient. I've swapped the words around there, right? So Paul, in his language, says with joy at the end of it, but I'm just kind of tagging those around. So a couple points underneath walk in his strength. First one. Be empowered to joyfully endure. Be empowered to joyfully endure. Notice the language. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance. Trusting that God is doing a spiritual work with us and in us. Using trials, using situations, using whatever he, he, whatever he deems necessary and most appropriate and most effective in us, right? We need Holy Spirit power and grace to endure or to, to remain up under whatever he brings into our life as gifts to conform us into the image of his son, right? Romans 8, 28, we know this. All things work together for the good for those who love him, and who are called according to his purpose. And we need to, we need grace, right? This is, this is such a wonderful thing for us to pray over each other because we need grace to joyfully endure whatever it is we're walking through. So as opposed to praying that we could have the strength to come up from under it, maybe we're praying alongside our brothers and sisters that you would be joyful in the Spirit's ability to help you endure in the midst of that season, right? Yeah, we need grace to joyfully endure because God is doing a work of sanctification in us. Romans 8, 29. Verse right after this verse that we, we know so well. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Yes, we need his strength, right? To help us joyfully endure whatever it is that we're enduring, right? As well as to be, and this is kind of the uh, other side of the same coin, right? To be p joyfully patient with others. I think Paul's praying a, few th a couple things here, right? He's praying for a Spirit-empowered endurance and a Spirit-given patience, right? So we're, we need His strength to help us joyfully endure as well as to be joyfully patient, listen to this, with others, right? So we need God's patience. We need to be strengthened in that grace of His patience with others as we ourselves are growing in Christ but also as they are, right? Other people are as well. So I want to talk with you just a second about that. Be empowered for joyful patience. The Scripture says, the passage says, for all endurance and patience with joy. Tell me if you agree with this statement. Wherever one or more Christians are gathered, one or more, right? this side of eternity, there's a strong chance and a high probability that that Christian will walk in the flesh. Agree? Wherever two or more Christians are gathered this side of eternity, 
there's a strong probability that those flesh patterns will result in hurt feelings, disagreements, or disunity. And Paul knew this. He knew that the church there at Colossae were, was filled with people. And, and by nature of their nature, which was being conformed to Christ, but won't be fully until glory, right? He's praying that they would be strengthened so as to be able to joyfully endure what he's bringing into their lives, but also to joyfully be patient with others that kind of feel like fingers on a chalkboard, right? Right now on this Constitution Sunday, Redeemer Fellowship, all is well. We're finding it easy to be patient. Add some time, pressures of life, potential unmet expectations. And we will all need this same Spirit's empowering, right? Of grace and patience with each other. This fruit of the Spirit, empowered by His Spirit in each and every one of us, prefers the other. It's slow to anger. It is, it is quick to understand that the same way I'm in a process of being conformed to His image and having that wrestling match go on inside of me with my flesh that's trying to rear its ugly head, so are my brothers and sisters. God, give me grace in the midst of conversations. DK would say, end your conversations with commas, right? And... And, and I would just say that as Paul is praying this for the church in Colossae, may we be quick to pray it over each other. This is a work of grace by the Spirit that we would be strengthened to endure with joy and strengthened to be patient with each other also with joy, right? It was important enough for Paul to pray this in his day and it's important for us to pray this in our day as well. I won't say maybe more, but equally important, right? Let's make this part of Paul's prayer our own. Let me uh, direct your attention to the last three verses. Paul concludes or concluded his prayer for the Colossian church by expressing more gospel truths probably one of my favorite sections of Scripture, and it, it grieves me just a little bit to go so quickly through this next part, right? <laughs> but he's, he's providing these gospel truths so that Lord willing, reminders of these gospel truths will result in the pleasant disposition of thankfulness within those of the Colossians church. Right? So, so he's... He's praying that they would be joyful in all things, right? Not mustered by their own power, but seeing that this is a gift of the Spirit. But he's also praying that they would have the disposition of thankfulness in all things. And how does he get there? Well, he gets there by reminding them of the gospel, right? That which our services, service has done this morning and Lord willing, always will. Point number three, walk in thankful assurance. Three things, just three truths that I'll point out to you from verses 12 through 14. I'll give them to you ahead of time. Be thankful, number one. Be thankful 
God has qualified you. Be thankful. God has qualified you. Number two under that third point, be thankful. God has delivered you. Be thankful God has delivered you. And finally, the third one, be thankful God has transferred you. Be thankful God has transferred you. Let's look at the first one. From the passage, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. This umbrella of giving thanks, and he's, he's thanking them for the following things he's going to be talking about. So I've included it in each of those sections. Giving thanks to the Father, here's the language, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We could do nothing to warrant God's favor, nor could we do anything to qualify us for salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Listen to this. Once purchased by grace through the gospel, nothing can disqualify you. We did not qualify ourselves, nor can our imperfections disqualify us. Be thankful. God has qualified you. Second thing here. Be thankful. God has delivered you from the text. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. As inheritors of sin and death from our first father, Adam, we were born enslaved. We were born imprisoned, incapable of escape, and frankly, unaware that we were even being held in bondage. But God, by His grace, provided a substitute to satisfy His wrath. And our, our rightful payment for our rebellion, right? So He provided a substitute to satisfy God's wrath and to pay our rightful payment for that rebellion so that all who are awakened to their need, right? What is that need? Their lost state, right? So all who are awakened to that could trust in the finished work of Jesus. And by that I mean His death on the cross and His resurrection from that grave three days later. And be set free from the hopeless domain of darkness into which they were born, right? This deliverance which Christ paid for and made possible, snatched us out of by the gospel. It was all of grace and undeserved. Be thankful. God has delivered you. Third thing, final thing from these nuggets here. Be thankful. God has transferred you. Here's the text. And transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
at one time, once, we were living in and we were serving for another kingdom, right? But God, through His beloved Son, made it possible for you to be bought back. That's what the word redeemed means. To be bought back, to be purchased, to be reborn and, and forgiven for, for your sins. Not only that, so that's the gospel, but the gospel continues with this explanation. Not only that, God made it possible for you to be rooted and planted into a new kingdom. A new kingdom, not one that's been dominated by spirit-blinding darkness, perception-altering darkness, but of the light of Christ, who is light, the light of the world. Be thankful. God has transferred you. How can we be anything but thankful, right? Well, truth be told, the clarity of the light of the gospel is always at risk of growing dim because you and I are always prone to wander and to sin. You and I need each other. You and I need a fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ who will be praying prayers like this because each of us on any given day are causing, are, are allowing questions in our mind regarding the truthfulness of who we are in Christ in these things found in this, these simple three verses or all of these verses for that matter, right? And we need to know that people, our brothers and sisters are praying these things for us. We need to be encouraged with conversations about the gospel to help us rehearse the gospel, to jar the, the again, a, a DK quote, right? A, I think Lewis, but he said to, to dislodge the barnacles of disbelief that have a tendency to fasten themselves to our hearts and minds. We need the gospel and we need each other to be praying the gospel over us. I'm praying this will be the case for Redeemer Fellowship. I'm praying it will be one of many evidences of gospel culture that is fostered and encouraged. And I'm praying that people outside of our gatherings will be attractive to this counter-cultural kind of love. Okay? If you're taking notes, let me offer you three more little quick applications. Um, as we seek to foster this gospel culture at our church, not only through prayer like this, but certainly including that. Let me give them to you, then I'll explain them. The first is that we would struggle long. Struggle long. The second is that we would savor Christ. That we would savor Christ. And the third is that we would say so. That we would say so. Talk you through the first one. I'm using the word struggle here as a final exhortation for us because we'll come across it three more times in the book of Colossians. We'll see it in chapter 1, verse 29 in just a few weeks where Paul writes, for this I toil, 
struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So Paul's saying, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Again, we'll find it in chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Of Epaphras, the church planner, in chapter 4, verse 12, we'll find it again. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Right. So Paul's in jail, Epaphras is there in Rome, and what Paul is witnessing of Epaphras is that he is struggling always, always taking mention of them in be, on their behalf in prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. So as found in these passages, the word struggle is not always a negative connotation, right? It's to strive to do something with great intensity and effort, to make every effort, to do everything possible to strain oneself to. Struggling's not always bad. We've just got to ask the question, what is it that consumes my efforts, thoughts, and heart that I'm struggling toward? And I would challenge us to be willing in the quietness of our time with the Lord to evaluate that. And if there needs to be some realignment so that that which we're struggling for are the hearts of each other in this church and the hearts of men who do not know yet Christ that we're going to encounter, then ask by God's grace that He help realign that to become the reality in our lives as well. Pray specifically in your struggling for each other that we would walk in a worthy manner right? That we would walk in His strength and that we would walk in thankful assurance with joy. Struggle long. Second thing, savor Christ. Savor Christ. In Christ, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Ephesians 1. These blessings include the spiritual wisdom and understanding that helps us and empowers us to walk worthy. In Christ, we've been qualified as inheritors, not sin, not enslavement, which we inherited from Adam, but the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in Christ. Through Christ, God delivered us. Through Christ, God redeemed us. And through Christ, God forgave us of our sins. It's all of grace. Savor the one who made it possible. Savor Christ. Find in Him your greatest pleasure and your highest prize and live your life of praise unto Him and for others. Third and final thing, and I'll stop. And that's say, say so. Struggle long, savor Christ, and say so. As a volunteer leader with Young Life years ago, we would take kids to camp. A lot of kids had no idea who Christ was until that week or they'd been walking with leaders for the year and they're pointing them to Christ, right? And at the end of all those weekends and weeks, those high school students will be given an opportunity to stand up and say so. In that situation, it was testimony, right? The way I'm encouraging us comes from the first words of Paul's prayer to say so. 
So finally, as we seek to foster this gospel culture with our fellowship, let's take one more cue from Paul. Notice the words in verse 9. He said, From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Include this practice as you're praying for people. And be quick to let them know how you're praying and what you're praying, as it in and of itself is an encouragement. Hey, person not sitting on the front row there, Bobby, I want you to know the Lord has brought you to my heart a lot this week. And I do a lot of running, I do a lot of praying for you guys specifically when I'm running, and the majority of this prayer is set to memory, right? So as I pray and the Lord brings you guys individually by name to heart, I implant your name to this prayer. And as I'm praying and as I'm running, I'm praying the very kernels of this prayer over you. And how much more encouraging will it be? It doesn't put me in some spiritual highlight, right? But it encourages the recipient of whom I'm praying for if I say, oh, by the way, Bobby, I've been praying for this in your life. I've been praying that God would fill you with the knowledge of His will. That you would be graced with all spiritual wisdom and understanding so you can walk worthy, right? And I want to say so. I want to encourage them with the knowledge of that which I'm praying. I challenge you with this prayer this morning as it's challenged me over the past few weeks that I've been saturating in it. It highlights the grace of God through Jesus. But it highlights the grace of God fleshed out from and through us as we pray over each other. And, and again, like I said to begin with, I really don't know of many better tools by which we can foster this gospel culture among us. And I pray it becomes part of our practice. We would struggle long. We would savor Christ. And we would say so among ourselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for the Gospel. Thank You for Jesus. Thank You for the lesson that we've received actually from this prayer that Paul prayed for the church of Colossae. Thank You for what is ours in Christ. So what is true of us because of our identity in Christ. And may we savor You, Jesus, as a result. And from that point of savoring You because of the Gospel, would You, Lord, we pray, move and empower us to pray for each other. Lord, that we would struggle long over that and not grow weary of it. That You would enrich our fellowship together, not over just dinner fellowships, but over that which matters most. The fellowship of partnering with brothers and sisters within this body as we all seek to be conformed to the image of Christ and walk in a worthy manner. Worthy of You, Lord. Well, we don't do so to earn worthiness, but we do so in response to although unworthy, You shed Your grace and love upon us. It fuel our savoring of You, Jesus. We pray in Your name. Amen.